Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. And welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined this week by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? Uh, it's good. I've, I'm amazed right there. You just flipped the switch. I know. I, I'm i really sick today. I just got back from Disney World, and my immune system totally was shocked coming back into the, the freezing temperatures and the, the icy winter mix that we've got going on today. So I'm I'm loaded up with Dayquil and Tylenol, uh, but that actor's blood that I have in me is able to just flip the switch and jump right back in. I was going to say, I mean, you still sound like crap, but you're not sounding like the death you were just 12 seconds ago. This is remarkable. I, I would often get sick during performances in high school and college, and I just have to learn how to just do it. Like there would be times where I would be sneezing and coughing and hacking, and then I'd go out on stage and sing my number and then get off and immediately collapse like. It, it's just something I learned how to do, and uh, it's still coming in handy for me. I've always found that pretty, like, performers, singers, anybody who's got to use their voice, and then you have to, like, be on a stage in front of people, like, a bad day, you got to somehow rally. And, you know, there are poor performers who just, like, call in sick that day. But, like, the people who can do that, because when I, when I get sick, I'm just, like, dunzo. And I'm so happy that I just get to write and put and be behind some ink and not have to be in front of people. Good on you, man. Yeah, I had to I had to perform in forensics, uh, our big like finals meet to go on to nationals. I had swine flu. So <laughs> I went out, I did my speech and then I immediately like collapsed and threw up in the back room. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. Uh, we well, it's going... a good thing we're in this tiny little podcast closet, I so know. I can't help but absorb your germs. Right, is... so you're going to be sick next week when we oh, do this again. This would be great when I'm on the, on the ice on Saturday, just dying from this death of a cold you have. Right, we're going to just get each other sick over and over again, back and forth. <laughs> uh, so we're going to continue our month of food-based interviews that we've done. So last week, we, uh, we played an interview that was done with Brett Unkefer from yeah. Wild Tomato turned out really really great and we have another one this week can you give us a little bit of uh kind of an overview about that one before we jump into the news yeah we talked to veronica rip of the get real cafe down in sturgeon bay who has uh been for several years she came up like through a supper club family and uh, as everybody knows supper clubs are not like the bastion of health food and yet she has come with that background kind of turned around and started get real cafe which is all geared toward healthy food a lot of like quinoa salads and that sort of thing and as we all know, like that, that's kind of like a new introduction um, over the last few years to the Sturgeon Bay area. So we just talked about, talked to her about that background, the supper club cooking that she still loves, but also um, kind of that transfer and what made and inspired her to um, go in a different direction. Awesome. I'm looking forward to checking that out. We're going to get into that right after our break. Uh, but we have a couple bits of news that we wanted to check in with this week before we... Uh, we get into that interview. The first one, uh, the next step in the uh, ever-evolving constant struggle with the granary in Sturgeon Bay, uh, the city council overruled the mayor's veto of the granary move. So I actually didn't even know that the mayor vetoed the 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 move. Can you can you let's go back to where we were where we left off last time? So the council had voted to bring the gan- the granary back to its original location. What happened after that? Yeah, so they they accepted the Sturgeon Bay Historical Society's offer to donate the granary to the city with a $1.25 million donation to rehabilitate it and remodel it and move it back to its original location. And then uh, a couple days later, the mayor mayor has the authority to veto that. And then when he does, the council can then vote again to overrule that veto. And that's what happened the other night. So things kind of progress as they were the after the previous meeting on January 15th not much changed at that uh when they overruled it David Ward brought back some of the same points he had argued against it uh the previous time and continued continued his questions and his doubts um about 
whether or not the endowment, the $135,000 endowment that is proposed is good enough. And then after they voted to overrule that, the council went into closed session after hearing um, a lot of uh, particulars related to the agreement. What's the easiest way to say this? The city has to sign an agreement before this thing, before the granary can move, be moved back. They have to come up with like kind of an ironclad agreement with the Sturgeon Bay Historical Society of all the things that the Historical Society will have to commit to and complete. Um, or else, A, the move doesn't happen. Or B, if the move does happen, there are, they're putting in guidelines so that if they don't come through with everything promised, if the donation doesn't come through, if the rehabilitation doesn't come through um, and meet certain deadlines, then they have to, the Historical Society then has to pay for removing the granary completely and permanently. So, Gotcha. So it's kind of like you have to present us with a roadmap of, of what's going to happen from here on out. And if those things don't move forward in the way that was laid out, then the granary is demolished. Is that how it, uh, it could be demolished? It could be that they would have the option maybe to just move it off of there and take it to some other property for good. Uh, I doubt that would happen, but it's like a fail safe. The city, and rightfully so, they've been promised that they won't have to pay for anything on this. And so they're just trying to make sure that the agreement in every way makes sure the taxpayers aren't on the hook for something down the road. And that there's a lot of, of T's that need to be crossed and I's that need to be dotted. There'll probably be a few different back and forth with attorneys before they can nail this down. And then the council has to agree to that. Well, and this is, is sort of a fail safe too to try to prevent what seemed to have happened with its initial move and that it went to its new location with all of these plans to do uh, a myriad of different things to the building, but then nothing actually happened and it moved back in the same condition that it moved away from. Well, not in the same condition. They have since put on, they've done more work to it and they've also um, since put a new roof on it. Um, so there has been some work done to it. Not a, not a ton. See, I was under the impression that it had moved over with the the plan to do its rehabilitation in its new spot, but apparently the plan had always been to move it back to its original location, or at least that's. I mean, what. I could I could speculate that it seems that way to me that like people maybe always had the intention of doing that. Basically, they moved it to save it from the wrecking ball, and they had hoped to do a lot more rehab. I think by now, but I think they ran into some roadblocks and not knowing where it was going to end up kind of limits what you can do. So. In any case, either it's way, going back. Yeah, this this roadmap is there to ensure that progress is made uh, in in an orderly fashion, so that we're not just sitting on this anymore. So yes. that uh, if if good things are going to come for the granary, that they will get rolled out sooner rather than later. Yep. And one more note, uh, not a lot of detail on this, but uh, Cap Wolf, as promised, has filed a lawsuit against the DNR, appealing. I shouldn't say a lot. He'd filed an appeal to their decision on the high watermark, which, you know, it remains to be seen if that will have credence and if he'll be granted standing to do that. He's, he's got a bunch of signatories, I think, from the community that have signed on to that. I don't have a lot of detail or information on how that will play out, but probably pretty similar to the last couple of appeals. Um, we'll see. We'll see what the DNR or and judges say about that. What else came out of the city council meeting? Uh, something about mother-in-law units. Oh yeah. So the, the city council approved after a lot of debate, it was a narrow approval. Um, what are the so-called, uh, accessory dwelling units that are referred to as the often call, called mother-in-law suites, essentially kind of like you have a garage and you might put an apartment above that garage. Uh, door County zoning for a long time didn't allow you to do that. And city zoning does not. And the county zoning changed several years ago to start allowing that because that provides for a lot of um, opportunity for people to add bedrooms that either make the, the house a little more valuable and add space, or it allows them to rent those out short term for the summer. You know, you maybe don't want to rent out a bedroom in your house, but if you have a separate garage and you want to put a bedroom above that, that kind of, or an apartment above that, then it, it's kind of like a way to get more efficient, more use out of property without encouraging massive other development. Right. The city approve this in certain districts of the city. There was some discussion about, well, people are going to start doing, I think David Ward's concern and a couple others were that if people start doing this, it's going to lead to more building and more building closer to other properties, which I don't, that's a, that might be a stretch and that it would create more Airbnb units. And so people would just use this as short-term tourism rentals, which is, that's a, a valid concern. However, they, 
And the only reason that's probably valid is because the state changed some laws about two years ago or last year that you can't, it really infringes on a city's ability to set minimum stay requirements. So what you would normally do a couple of years ago is a city might say, you can have an accessory dwelling unit, but it can't be rented for shorter than 30 days. So that way you kind of encourage people to rent it out long-term rather than like a couple of days at a time and just use it as vacation income. And the state changed that. So you can't limit that any more than seven days. But that alone is enough to kind of really limit how much transient, like how many people are going to stay for a week in somebody's like a a one bedroom thing above somebody's garage. That's not what you're looking for in a vacation. But that was kind of one of the primary um, arguments against it. But the council voted the the accessory dwelling units kind of won the day. So those are have been approved. And um, so now people can do that above their garage. And hopefully that leads to you know, even if it's 10 or 15 more units that are available for seasonal or year round, like affordable housing, that's good. Right. Absolutely. Moving on, Leo Zipper passed away on Monday. So he was a longtime Door County board chairman and Sevastopol town chairman. Tell me about Leo. Uh, Leo has been around on in leadership positions in Door County forever, like my entire lifetime. I think his first stint on the county board started in 1974. Um, between then and now, he served 27 years on the county board, I think 14 years of that as the county board chairman. Uh, Sevastopol Town Board, I think he served 20 years as a chairman. So he's a guy who almost any, anything he joined, he ended up ascending to a leadership position. And there was, if you saw on, on Facebook, people who used to work with him, you know, he was a conservative guy. But you'd talk to people who are on the opposite end of the spectrum from him who said, you know what, we didn't agree on a lot of things politically or socially. He was a great guy, great leader. We could always talk about issues. He was always funny. So that's kind of maybe a, (laughs) you know, hopefully we still have more of that going on, but in a time when people are pretty divided and it seems like people aren't really talking across some of those, whether it be political or just plain like issue-based disagreements, people aren't as good at just talking to each other about them anymore. And it seems like a lot of people said that Leo was a guy that, that they could. My whole life, he's been in the newspaper as anything that happens with the county. Like Leo's had his hand on it. He was a former state patrol officer as well. So as I was talking to some people, he was you know known for being a really good conduit for Door County to get like extra police presence up here on holiday and festival weekends. The guy always concerned with safety. And you know he, he only retired from the county board in 2016. And the Sevastopol Town Board in 2017, um, so he didn't get a lot of time in retirement uh, before he passed in uh, at his winter home in Florida. But you know, anybody who can sit on any of these boards for that long, you got to respect that, and you got to thank them for putting in the time because that's a that's a thankless job most of the time. Right. Well, and and think about how much Door County has changed in the last 20 years. Yeah. And to to think that he's had a major hand in in the time in which Door County has has undergone the most change. Yeah. Yeah. And he he was a big proponent of the new justice center. That was 20 years ago. That was a huge controversy. Most of the door County board was recalled in that instance as people were very uh, up in arms about the building of the new County justice center. He was very much for it. Um, At the time, a lot of people were against it saying like, we're just going to build a new palace to justify housing more drunk drivers and things. But um, once that the board got recalled and then the new board after ousting a lot of County board members also came back and they voted for the justice center after getting all the facts. So, um, that was a big development and he, you know, the, the seniors, the new senior center, he was, uh, he argued against it actually, but, uh, it carried the day and, and that ended up turning around and he was always kind of funny in his arguments, a very dry guy, but he would have good one-liners when they were going through that develop the process of debating the ARDC. One of his quotes was, uh, this county government, it was just, he was getting, um, frustrated with how long it was taking to come to a decision. And he was like, this county has three speeds, slow, slower, and stop. <laughs> and uh, uh, so he was, he was always good for little one-liners like that and good quips to kind of put things in perspective. Uh, any other last takeaways on Leo Zipper? No, no, nothing, nothing else for me, except that, you know, it's just another one of those. A couple of weeks ago, we saw John Toppy pass away, an old basketball coach, tons of history, tons of knowledge. And Leo's another guy with just tons of history and knowledge about Door County that we've lost. And makes me more gratified than ever that we are doing this time capsule project where we're going around and trying to gather a lot of these stories from people 
before we lose them and try right. and try and preserve some of that knowledge and perspective, whether it be in writing, in video, in audio. So Right. Well, I, I think we should mention over the last year we've been doing interviews with important members of the Door County community who have been here the longest. We've talked to a bunch of different people and tried to mine out as many stories of Door County in the sixties, fifties, seventies, trying to get as as many different perspectives on how Door County was back then and how it's changed and, and trying to really get these stories of people before they're gone. And uh, I'm actually looking through a lot of those right now for a, a project that we're working on now. And it kind of takes us into our next little bit of news here about Greg Casperson and the Casperson family. Was it a year ago now that they put up Casperson's funeral home for sale? It's been sort of quietly for sale for several years and the, the property in downtown Sister Bay. And then the funeral home business, they finally sold to Hewn's funeral home last October, I think. And the Casperson, they still own the property in town, but they're slowly uh, getting themselves out of the day-to-day funeral home operations. Greg is still helping out um, and still working funerals. Um, but for 98 years, the Casperson family has been the funeral home and the people in times of crisis and grief in Northern Door County, not, not just Sister Bay, but really, I'd probably say like Fish Creek, maybe Bailey's Harbor North, even on Washington Island. That's been the family that, that you'd go to in, those, in the worst of times. We had the opportunity to sit down with Greg and, and talk to him about what it was like to inherit the business from his father and to, to run the business for all these years. And it was, it was a great interview because Greg, is, he's, he's very fun and has a lot of great stories, but also sobering in a lot of ways. Because when you think about being the funeral home in a small community like Door County, you, you're, you're, you're working with families that you know. Like nine times out of 10, you're, you're working with friends and family members yeah. uh, in the most difficult times of their lives. Yeah. And that was, it's something that I had always wanted to talk to him about. And I'm glad we got to sit down with him. And then I talked to his daughter, Sarah, and a couple other community members. And then I talked to Chris Forbes, who had worked with um, Greg in some capacity as a paramedic. You know, when you're a paramedic in Door County, you're going to run into the funeral home director on, on some some days. Right. And, uh, but then she also told me the story of her own tragedy when she lost her one-year-old daughter to a breathing disorder 47 years ago. And she told me a story about the value of someone like the Caspersons who, who have that personal connection when they do know everybody in the community, they have this extra level of empathy. And she said, it was really a heartbreaking story. She went to the hospital and she said she, she went there with her daughter wrapped in blankets. And several hours later, she came home with just the blankets. And, and she's like, it's hard to describe how numbing that is, how shocked you are, how chaotic and unfocused everything is in that moment and continues to be. And then she said a couple of days later, she went up to Casperson's funeral home um, to meet with uh, Greg and Clyde. And then that day it happened to be Clyde and walked in the door. And when she walked up, Clyde reached out his hand and in his other hand, he had a little pink hairbrush. And Clyde said, you know, I, I got everything prepared, but I realized I didn't, I don't know how you, how you combed your baby's hair. And I thought maybe you would like to do that. And she said that it was just such a simple thing, but such a thoughtful thing and such a, a caring thing that it meant so much to her in that moment. And when she told me the story 47 years later, it was as if it had happened an hour ago. She remembered every detail and you know, she got choked up. It still uh, is emotional for her to this day. She just said like the Caspersons, they always had like an aura about them. She called it like almost, almost kind of holy that they they just had a presence that made you in that awful time feel like things were going to be okay somehow, you know, as, as hard as it was. And, uh, you know, it was great of her to be willing to share that story. I mean, I, I'm, that's gotta be hard to talk about, but it really encapsulates what the Casperson family has meant in that community. I've been to 40 some funerals in my life. Uh, too many young people that I've had to say goodbye to. And I've always, you know, Greg Casperson is always there. He's always there greeting people when you walk into the church. He's always there with a, a kind word or just like a look that says, you know, we're here for you. And I don't know how you do that. I mean, those are just the ones I know. And he's been to countless more and had to be there watching kids he's seen grow, grown up, uh, kids he grew up with himself, best friends. Um, best friend's parents. And to do that and be the rock and be that 
that person to kind of absorb some of that is how I kind of think of it. Like that person is sort of, you know, as a friend, when somebody's going through something that's not as close to you, you try to absorb a little bit of that pain for them. And he does that for the entire community. And it's, I can't imagine what that is to wake up every day and that's your job. But you were, you were there at that, that interview and he kind of referred to it more, more as an opportunity. Like he's fortunate that he gets to help people in that way. Right. And, and to maintain that infectious smile that he has and that incredibly gentle demeanor that he has to be able to do that. I could maybe understand in, in a bigger city or something like that, where you are removed from the people that you are working with, Yeah, but to do it in a place where you know everyone. And, and like you said, to, to have to bury your friends or your friend's kids, to be able to do that and, and to be able to keep such a gentle demeanor is, is incredible. And I, I think it, it says a lot for, for him as a person, but also that family and what they've done for the, for the community over the past almost 100 years. Yeah, I mean, and his daughter talked about growing up and seeing that. And I, I kind of wondered, I'm like, what's it like growing up in the funeral home? Is that hard? Like, you got all your kids and, and you're like, yeah, come on over. We're, you know, we're right behind the funeral home. Like, is it dark or anything? She said, you know, it's, it's, it's all I knew. And Greg said the same thing about growing up with, with his dad owning the funeral home. Yeah, it's just what I knew. We answered the phone and it might be tragedy and we had to be professional as young kids. Um, Greg told the story about his dad used to be the fire chief as well. So they'd get a fire call and if he answered the phone, he had to get the address and then he'd run down to the fire station and put the address on the chalkboard. So as the guys showed up, that's how they found out where they had to go. So he'd sound the, the fire siren and it just, I'm like, man, we're not that far removed from just a totally different era in life in Door County. But, you know, answering those calls and, and you're on call 24-7, 365. If something happens, you just stop. And Greg was, you know, gave a lot of credit to his wife and daughter. of like always being understanding and know that if that phone rings and it maybe is a big dinner or an important night for the family, like he has to get up and go and put on the suit and show up for somebody else. And Sarah just said that that was such an amazing example to her growing up to get to see that and see someone treat other people with just like a, another level of kindness every day. She's like, it was one of the best learning experiences you could ask for. Right. Yeah. So on February 10th, they're going to gather after the worship service at Shepherd of the Bay Lutheran church in Ellison Bay. Um, there'll be an opportunity for people to gather and thank the Caspersons, uh, Greg and wife Debbie will be there. And I'm sure a ton of community members will be there to thank them for everything that they've done. I'm sure a lot of the people in that room will be thanking them for things they've done specifically for their family. And great. If you get a chance to talk to Greg, whether it's this weekend or in the future, take him up on it. And it doesn't, not just about his experiences there. That guy knows so much about sister Bay. He's got such a great perspective on door County. Um, and he's seen so much and he knows <laughs> literally, he knows where the bodies are buried in door County. Right. And, uh, if you can pry a little bit out of him, it's a great, great time. He's, he's a hilarious guy. And, uh, yeah. And, and just personally, as somebody who's living in this community, for, you know, my whole life and to know what, what he has meant and that family has meant, you know, thanks, Greg. Any other, uh, last bits of news before we move on to our feature interview this week? Uh, just that the housing study came out this week, a long awaited housing study from the door County economic development corporation. And we did, there was a housing summit that I attended on Tuesday morning, um, where we discussed a lot of the challenges facing builders, communities, municipalities, in trying to build more affordable rental apartments and also affordable homes to buy. But I think a lot of the focus is on the rental side of stuff and the seasonal side of stuff. So we'll be talking more about that. I'll be writing about that for our next issue. And probably something we'll be talking about on the podcast several times in the months ahead. Um, so there'll be a lot coming out of that study. We'll put that up on our website and we'll do our best to interpret it and, and tell people what it means. And maybe, maybe if there's things wrong in there and stuff, I've been pouring through it and it, it's, reflects a lot of what I hear from a lot of people around the county. Cool. Yeah. Uh, affordable housing is, I think, one of the top concerns in the county. And I'm, I'm really interested to, to start digging in and, and try to see what's coming up on the future for it. I'm really looking forward to taking off my hazmat suit so I don't get sick from you. Well, why don't we take a break, Miles? And then when we come back, we're going to jump right into the interview. Um, again, all month long for February, we're going to feature... Uh, some interviews that, that you have done with um, some of the movers and shakers in the food industry up here in Door County. Um, so looking forward to, to this interview and next week's interview as well. Yeah. And if anyone has people that they would think we should talk to 
we, I love talking about the restaurant industry and food, and I know Aaliyah does as well. If you got ideas for other people we need to talk to, we're just getting started, but send them our way, miles at peopulse.com. Thank you so much, Miles, and I look forward to chatting with you again next week. Thanks, Andrew. They call themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood and metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Mackinac Island or worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan. And they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2,000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. Hello, I'm Miles Danhausen. I'm here on the Door County Pulse podcast this week, and we have Veronica Rip here from Get Real Cafe down in Sturgeon Bay. And uh, hello, Veronica. Thanks for making the trip up here. Hello, and recently the the Hitching Post Bar and Grill. Yeah, so she's got a lot going on down in the Sturgeon Bay area. And then uh, Aaliyah Kidd is here. She's our food and entertainment, and she dabbles in all, all kinds of different writing for us at the Pulse. Thanks for joining us, Aaliyah. Yeah, I'm excited. I guess what, what we're trying to do here with the Door County Pulse podcast is talk about some of the ways that the food scene in Door County has evolved in the last, really in the last five to 10 years. My background is uh, I, I got into the restaurant industry and as a teenager in a pizza place and then uh, ran Husby's Food and Spirits. That was a time when you could, basically the food scene in Door County was, a, a huge chunk of it was put a burger on a grill and serve it on a bun. And so much has changed since then. I couldn't last in the food industry and the restaurant industry today. So Veronica, we wanted to bring you in to just talk about um, your unique background and your journey to where you are as a, as a chef and restaurateur today. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background growing up in the restaurant industry? Well, I was about, I think I was eight years old when my parents bought the Nightingale Supper Club in Sturgeon Bay. A classic um, supper club. Classic supper club, old fashions, you know, cheese and crackers out, happy hour, the whole, the whole gamut. Um, so it's, the Nightingale isn't one of those kind of, like some people would have a different definition of supper club. If you don't have like a relish tray or cheese and crackers or a certain level, like that's not quite a supper club to some people. Right. And it's, 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 a, it's a dark place, you know, yeah. the, it's dim. So it's kind of suspicious and it's got its own <laughs> little, you know, if these walls could talk kind of thing, you could just sit and imagine you know, the stories. I know when I was a kid, I grew up uh, listening to the old men sitting at the bar shaking bar dice and, <laughs> you know, telling stories. and That thwack know. over and over again yep. with the bar dice. Yep. It's, it's, it's kind of like hearing the ticket printer in the kitchen. It's something that you always kind of hear in the back of your yeah, head. Yeah. I've had dreams with the ticket printer oh. going off and it just keeps going right? and it keeps going and I see the tape going down to the floor and I'm freaking out Been and I there. wake up in a sweat. That's the worst. Yeah, I hate it. I mean, it's the best, but it's the worst. <laughs> it's, it's such a double-edged sword. So, yeah, it's something that that's also been dying off as well. I mean, no pun intended, but those... those Literally, uh, those some of the customers. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, business, you need to evolve, you know, but not everything needs to evolve. And that's why I think the Hitching Post having a blend of your bar food, throw a burger on the grill and go to town... Or you could have a quinoa salad, mm -hmm. you know, I yeah. think offering, offering a little bit of something for everyone is, is becoming more and more important because there are, there are dietary needs that are different for different people as well. A lot of kids have food allergies. A lot of times they can't go out to eat. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or go out feeling confident that they're not going to wind up sick. Well, there's so much more consciousness of, of food allergies and people's, what we used to call demands and now it's just needs. But like when we had husbands, if somebody said like, yeah, I can't let the bread touch my burger. Like we didn't really, we're like, oh yeah, okay, sure, whatever. Right. But mm -hmm. like, yeah, now you, there's so, most restaurants will ask you that, proactively ask you that. You don't have to beg people to do something well, special it, for you. Well, it's becoming a dangerous topic. And yes. People are winding up in the hospital and, you know, people don't realize that, you know, just because you're a cook, it's public health. It's very important to respect that and to keep people out 
of the mm-hmm. hospital. Right. You know, not just with the quality of food you're giving them, but how you're preparing it and giving it to them. Yeah. So you, you grow up in, your parents have the nightingale. Mm-hmm. Um, did you just grow up working in the kitchen for them? Oh, I couldn't get enough of it. I don't know what I was thinking. It's just, <laughs> it, 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 I, I, I loved it. There was, a, there was a rush about it. It was, you know, the chef that was, that is still currently there. Even Marsha was a huge influence on me. I was seeing this strong woman run this kitchen and run it efficiently and well. And it was inspiring. And it, I think it, it drove me to want to become more like that as just as a woman. Yeah. You That's know, an interesting it, take because like the, the kitchen is not for everybody. I mean, it's a nonstop no. giving each other crap. You get people that go get a soda and never come back. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'll be right back. Yeah, right. They're like, this isn't worth it. This is stressful. And there's not very many women working in kitchens. Exactly. So that's pretty interesting that Nightingale's always had a, a strong but, woman at the helm. But yet it's interesting that we all learned how to cook from our grandmothers. Yeah, right. Isn't that interesting? And that Very women aren't in the, yes. <laughs> in the industrial kind of kitchen. Yeah. But that's something that I'd like to bring back at the at the cafe as well is I plan on doing cooking classes because we're not cooking with grandma anymore. Right. People no need one to know knows. how. And I want to, um, my, my goal, my plan is to, on Saturdays, have a kid's cooking class and parents are welcome to join. But it's basically... You don't have to buy it from the middle of the grocery store. You can you can shop the outside and learn how to make it yourself and actually be self-sufficient without rice mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, no offense to rice yeah. It's got its place. But, you know, there's a reason why we're all on some sort of medication. Right. And it's what we eat. It's environmental. And we need to start becoming more conscious of it. So this conversation you're just having right now, that's not a typical supper club kitchen conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you go from growing up in the supper club? Like, at what point did you say, like, I want to I want to do something different. I want to cook a different style and and pursue a totally different healthy. Not that supper clubs are totally bad for you, but like, it's not the healthiest food you could eat. Yeah, it's not something you should indulge on morning, noon and night. Right. But it's a nice treat. And boy, is that comforting. Yes. You know, there's nothing that brings me back to being a kid than slab of prime rib and some cheese curds <laughs> <laughs> and that's a coronary just waiting to happen yeah i i became when i moved back up here in 2010 it was kind of um where'd you move here from i was i was in north carolina okay. i was in Asheville, um, working at tupelo honey cafe okay um i had just helped them open a second restaurant and then my dad coached me to come home and I thought, oh, what the heck, you know, if he wants to retire, which he didn't because he's bullheaded. Now I know where I get it. Now I come by it honestly. Um, But it started as some sort of like personal awakening for me. And it's been kind of a life changing coming home, you know, where I feel like I've been digging at my authenticity by moving home in in pretty much every aspect of my life. Hmm. And I became, I was on this self-improvement kick, you know, Mm -hmm. I started running, I started biking and I'm like, God, I you know, why do I feel so horrible? I'm taking, you know, what I thought was taking care of myself because yeah. I was exercising. Well, my diet sucked. Mm-hmm. And once I started to do some research, I realized that I wasn't supporting my body to give me what I was demanding of it. Hmm. And I felt like I was hungover after I would go for a bike ride. And I was like, geez, mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's a- drinking is a lot more fun than <laughs> yeah, right. hellacious bike ride I was just on. Um, so that, that kind of inspired me to, to do the cafe. I, it's been a dream of mine since I was a kid mm-hmm. to have my own restaurant and opportunity presented itself, um, knowing the right people with the right spaces available. You know, Steve Estes helped me out substantially. Yeah. You know, getting me started, allowing me to mm-hmm. get in there and get going and, hmm. you know, having the faith in me that I could make it work as different as it was. And, you know, an organic cafe in Sturgeon Bay. Are you kidding me? On the west side on top of it? <laughs> what are you, nuts? I'm a little nuts, but I also believe that things happen for a reason. And if I'm following my heart, then things are going to fall in place the way they should. What year did you get started with that? 2014. Okay. In November 17th, it'll be fired back up. (laughs) (laughs) So at that time, was there anything around that was similar to that? Or were there any options? Um, Not on the clean clean food side. Mm -hmm. Um, The Blue Front has done a really nice job keeping local and, mm-hmm. and offering some really, really nice menu options. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've been, they've definitely been the foundation to, to do this, I think. Uh-huh. You know, was it? Kudos to them because that's, yeah, right. I'm not the, I can't take all <laughs> Was it scary to take that step in, in Sturgeon Bay? I mean, not that there's a ton of business in Northern Door in like the off season or anything, but like I, I, my impression is Sturgeon Bay is a harder market to crack with that sort of endeavor. 
Yeah, I think that it requires some sort of um, level of stupidity and risk. I mean, <laughs> any restaurant. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. But, you know, again, it comes full circle to this. Um, when I reflect back on my life, when I was um, spending time with my grandmother as she was as she was transitioning, um, it made me reflect a lot because I had a lot of time to just sit with her and everything kind of if I reflect on my life, everything kind of has fallen into place. Mm -hmm. So. We try to control everything and we have no control over it because there were outcomes that I didn't want, but yet it all led to exactly where I needed to go. So I feel like if I continue to just throw things out there that are positive for the community and myself at the same time, then there's no choice but for it to be a success. I like know? that take. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm full of it today. <laughs> <laughs> How did your parents take, like your dad at the Nightingale, when you wanted to go and do the cafe? What was his impression? Did he think you were crazy too? Yes, yeah, absolutely. He was, and and I, I I'm not sure there were many people that didn't think I was crazy, to be honest. But again, you know, I'm bullheaded. I got it from him. So, <laughs> so where where did you get your knowledge with, um, like the organic and healthy side of things? Like, I used my sister a lot. Okay, she's um she's she's a guru when it comes to fitness and nutrition, and mm -hmm. she's that's what she does for a living now out in San Diego. Okay, so. Liz has definitely been a big, a big help. Mm -hmm. um, it always irritates me, though, when her response is Google. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, damn it, I don't have time for that. My wife used to be a chef as well, and, and people constantly text her for, like, how do I do this? How do I, what, what's a good recipe for this? And she, she says the same thing. She's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's fun to help when you can, but sometimes it's just, it's really simple. You need to Google that yeah. one. <laughs> Sorry. Right, right. I don't have time to. What did you do in terms of like creating, uh, well, I guess maybe describe for the listener what Get Real Cafe is. Like what, what kind of food are they going to get and what's on the menus? Um, I'm about to revise the menu entirely because that was one thing that I think uh, became stagnant for me. Okay. Um, and I've evolved and the cafe has evolved, so I only feel like the food should evolve too. So I, I definitely have a lot of raw. I have a lot of salads. Um, I'm going to focus on deli. So grab and go kind of thing. So every morning I'm going to put a few things in the case every day for people that are in a rush or if I'm too busy because it is a small place and they don't have the time, mm -hmm. they can grab whatever they'd like out of the case. I'll obviously do the popular items and they can they can grab and go. Um, I want to lift off the um, the marina um, kind of grocery delivery kind of thing. I mean, hmm. when I was a kid, mom and dad, that was their break in between um lunch at the Nightingale and dinner is we had a speedboat and it was moored pretty close to the restaurant. So after lunch, we would pack coolers. We would go water skiing, hang out on the water, and we would always pick something up from Uncle Lenny's. <laughs> oh, yeah. Remember Uncle Lenny's? Yeah, so, that was a, a lot of cheap uh, lunches and so before school grabs for at, at me, the gas station. A, a Lenny's <laughs> sub and a bag of Cheetos and a Pepsi, man. I am just, I'm, I'm, I'm 11 years old on that boat watching my dad flip out of his ski. I, you know, it's just, I want to bring that back. So being right there at all those marinas, I can supply them with just ingredients for them to make their own, or I could supply actual sandwiches already made so they can just eat. So I want to start that as well, because there's really nothing. There's a grocery store on the west side. There's the healthy way. Thank God that's there. Yeah, that's very, but, very cool. I just stopped in there recently. Oh, it's a Lots great store. Adam yeah. has done such a fantastic job in there. It's just wonderful for Sturgeon Bay. It's so great. Yeah. I remember it, you. Don't, you don't have to go that far back to to find, think of a time. Maybe it's eight, nine, ten years ago that the idea of organic grocery stores being able to stay open in Door County was just so far fetched. Farmers markets, yeah, there were a couple, and they weren't really thriving. I remember writing articles about you know local producers complaining that the local restaurants they just couldn't sell their products. Local restaurants weren't making an effort to use the local produce. It's amazing how far we've come in such a short time. Affordability and availability, I think, has really made a big difference. There's a lot of farmers up here doing some incredible things mm -hmm. yeah. that are allowing it to, to happen, you know, and that's something that I think is that was different years ago. Plus, I think that over over the last few years, there's been a lot more awareness and a lot more attention focused mm -hmm. on the environment and yeah. the impact it's having on our health. So I think a lot more people are hearing the words and starting to go, hmm. The farm to table idea and trend is very much mainstream now. Bringing your local food to your plate is people, that's what people are asking for. And people want to know where their food is coming from too. So, well, it's a connection 
you know, we're, we're so disconnected, not only on a, a personal level, but on every level as human beings, we're just in our phones and in our technology. And we're not, we're not touching each other on levels that years ago they did, mm-hmm. you know, to help your neighbor do anything they need. You know, you drop everything now. It's like, oh, I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, know, you talk about the, the farm to table thing. I mean, it's almost to the point now where it's, if you're going to be a good restaurant, you're expected to source locally. Yeah. And it's not even like a marketing ploy to say farm to table anymore. It's not like 10 years ago. That was a huge deal. Oh, you're actually going to try and get that from a local guy. Now it's, it's amongst foodies anyway. Mm -hmm. That's very much expected. There's still a a large segment of the, the customer base that doesn't care about that. Who is like, I don't care if it's Wasita, just charge me two bucks less and give me crappy beef. Right. Right. But luckily there's enough people that can support Wasita farms that can support what Sully's produce is doing. My dad has a an acre garden and he, and he's able to sell a lot of his stuff. And there's so many more of those where, where there was one or two cold climate farms. There's mm-hmm. just, right. there's more than I can remember off the top of my head. And if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have been able to tell you like the three people doing it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, something that I had dreamt up when I had first opened the cafe is now back on the table. Um, I'm going for it and it's crazy, but I'm going for it. Um, I want to put in, uh, when I take ownership of the building, um, eventually down the road, I'm going to enclose the, I'm going to put a rooftop garden on the roof, obviously on the rooftop <laughs> garden, but it'll be like a four season sunroom. So it'll help. Um, I, I plan on putting little areas for um, people to sit um, mm-hmm. to help combat some of the seasonal depression that we're all victim to here. Right. Yeah. Um, but going up, the view will be incredible and it'll be a tropical natural light atmosphere that will sustain the restaurant as far awesome. as produce and yeah that's 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 it's gonna happen that's something that's pretty popular in chicago isn't it it's yeah. becoming more and more yeah. so yeah yeah Those yeah i spent gardens I spent six years in chicago and when i moved down there i was you know you'd see all these restaurants that had like the big patios and the big beer gardens and the, the garage doors that opened to the street Awesome. And rooftop gardens. And at that time, I was like, gosh, Door County is so far behind. Nobody, like, we've got to get that going up here. And really, like, two years later, it started to happen. And then it happened rapidly. I mean, it was 15, 20 years ago, Husby's was the only place with outdoor seating in right. Sister Bay. <laughs> and now all of Sister Bay is outdoor. Um, and that's, that's just such a, a cool transition to be seeing up here. Um, you know, right down the street from you, you have Canara uh, Cafe mm-hmm. doing Indian food. Um, now you have Crate doing sushi in Surgeon Bay, which another thing that 20 years ago, nobody would have mm-hmm. said would have oh worked. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, there's like an opening for people to do these niche restaurants now where I, when I was in the business, you felt like you had to have this nine page menu that satisfied everybody who would walk in the door. So everything was sort of watered down. You weren't great at anything. Mm-hmm. It's really neat to see a place like yours or Canara or a lot of these places or Charnuska Soup Bar in Ephraim. Mm-hmm. They're doing like the small place that doesn't need 50 employees, like a, like a supper club. You need so many people to open that place every day. And depend on so many people to run. Yeah. You know, when people don't show up, it kind (laughs) of throws a little, and the public can't know that, but how do you make up for a body lost, you know? Yeah. It's like, geez. So many potential hangovers every day for your staff (laughs) (laughs) in the restaurant industry. No, no doubt. I mean, for you, Aaliyah, you're late twenties, early thirties, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, came up here from Madison. You've always been visiting Door County and now you just moved up here last May. What has it been like for you coming from the city where you, you kind of used to, to having all of these different food options available? Has it, I, I think like 15 years ago, somebody would have told me, yeah, the worst part, of it, I just can't get good food anymore. I can't get the variety of food. Not, this is not to knock everyone who's been mm-hmm. here. There's been good restaurants for a long time, but I mean like the variety of food. How's that been for you? I guess the the food scene and the food trends going to more farm to table and healthier has kind of grown up at the same time that I did. Um, You know, I remember being in college and still very much not knowing how to cook and not knowing how to use the farmer's market. But being (laughs) in Madison and being around farmer's markets, you're like, okay, I'm going to go pick up some produce and then going to make something with it and we'll see how it turns out. But um, so, and in Madison, where you have maybe the best farm market in the country. Right. So how can you not go and enjoy all that great produce? Um, so I would say, you know, it was early 2000, 2010-ish, where it's like I'm actually cooking and I'm enjoying it. And you kind of realize how much flexibility and how much fun that can be and how much healthier. And it still tastes so good. 
Um, and that's when I started to get a little bit nerdy into the whole, like, what is gluten-free? What is paleo? What is this keto thing? And then just diving in. And that's when juicing kind of like hit trends. And so that's when I just started to really learn and know about those things and the different ways that you can choose to eat. Um, then coming back to Door County, you kind of see like just recently, 2017, like Cloud9 Juice Bar. I was like, wow, you can get fresh juice up here. That's amazing. Um, and then now with the Kitchen Juice Bar as well and Sister Bay and obviously Get Real Cafe. So it's like these places have these options and that's the way that I like to choose to eat for the most part. But of course, supper clubs are on my list too. So <laughs> <laughs> they've got to be. Yeah. yeah. Balance. It's all about balance. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um. And I remember like uh, you had like Inner Christopher's, you had a few of those high end places for years, but there was there weren't people like taking it that like middle ground level. And now there's a lot of like middle ground where it's like you can get really good food, but it's not like a white tablecloth. Mm -hmm, right. Like it's you don't have to feel like it's this once or twice a year type thing. Mm -hmm. Or or if you're lucky, one of those people who can do that every week. <laughs> <laughs> so now, Veronica, you've had the the Get Real Cafe since 2014. Mm -hmm. And then just recently you moved on to to do this, uh, a new incarnation of the Hitching Post. Yes. So tell us exactly what this is. That's pretty good. Um, my brother and sister-in-law decided to move back home and purchase the Hitching Post. And we joined forces, partnered up, and got it up and running. And everything is great. Everybody seems really happy that the place is there and back at the Hitching Post. So, And the Hitching Post often, is one of those really unique Door County places out I mean, it's a trek to get there. What's tell me where that is? Okay, exactly. if you're um, traveling north on 57, you hang a hang a right in Valmy, and you'll land right. The on metropolis. Us. Of yes, Valmy. yes, yes. <laughs> so you'll land right on us on Glidden Drive, okay. right at the right at the end of the road. And that's been there for like 40, Holy 50 years. Holy moly, that's been there. 50 something. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, yeah. It's and, been there a while. And Aaliyah, is it your? Your family or your in-laws who kind of have a history uh, my, in the Whitefish Bay area? My husband, Brody Kid, used to work there under Huey um, when he was 13. He was, you know, breading fish fillet and earning his cheese curds and root beer. So he Working has that <laughs> history tied to the area. And I know that the Hitching Post, for so many people vacationing in that area, that's like their staple is the fish fry. And the Hitching Post being so close to... Um, Whitefish Dunes and the Vacationers on Glidden Drive. So that's been there for the last, what, yeah, 50 plus years. There's so. a lot of history. A lot of people come in saying that they have memories from when they were little. So there's, it's, it's something that people feel on a personal level, just the space alone. So now it's exciting to be able to offer them the Huey Burger if they mm -hmm. want wet cheese. <laughs> um, <clears throat> or, you know, like I said, a, a quinoa salad or just a really salad chuck full of vegetables. And So yeah. it's been... Forever, it's been like a classic bar menu, yeah, correct? Yeah. And so now you're bringing some of the Get Real stuff to that, but now you're going to reopen the Get Real Cafe in Sturgeon Bay. Your original plan was to close that and move everything out there? Am I yeah, getting that right? Yeah, yeah, that's the plan. And it, it put things into perspective for me as far as um, what's important to me, and that's one, helping my family, which is why this is all happening. Mm -hmm. um, and two, I learned that, what I received on a personal level from the cafe and the people that were loyal to it and came in, um, I missed that and something, there's a void. Yeah. And I didn't realize until I was at the Hitching Post and how many people were coming in that followed me out there. I was very emotional. I'm not a very emotional person and every one of them I would hug and I, I was teared up. And to me, that just told me where I needed to be for me. As far as the environment, the more hands-on, I need to be talking with my people. I need to build those relationships because that that's the whole point of being in the service industry for me. Um, the Hitching Post is great because I'm able to train, bring what I have, and share it with my family and allow them to grow on it as well. So to me, it's all just such a huge win mm -hmm. for yeah. all of us that, you know, I haven't been a part of a smooth restaurant opening <laughs> like this one. And it's because of the menu. We knew the menu. We knew how to execute the menu and the staff knew how to do it. And to be able to offer that to my family to get them started is a beautiful thing to me. Yeah. I just, it's so, it's, it's, I'm giving them what I worked my butt off for for the last four years. I'm like, here, let's share yeah, this right. and let's all just keep growing together. Just That's do awesome. The, 
do the, you know, just do what we do. So you know? now moving forward, you're going to have some of the Get Real Cafe items will be available at the Hitching Post. Oh, absolutely. And then you're going to reopen the place on Madison? Yeah, yeah. When is that going to happen? Uh, November 17th All right. of this year. So just, uh, what, five weeks away, I guess? Mm-hmm. That is quite a transition to go from being on Madison Avenue in the middle of things to the Hitching Post is definitely not in the middle of things. Right. <laughs> no, it definitely is not. But man, the place is busy and yeah. it's impressive. It's a hidden gem. I'm yeah. I'm very surprised how busy it is all the time. And and, and I think look forward to that. And I think now offering some more versatile menu options, it's going to target a different kind of person to mm-hmm. come in, not just your normal people that always did come, right. but new people that are going to discover it and create their own memories. Mm-hmm. You know, it is interesting to see. Like when we post articles on Facebook, we get a pretty good feedback on okay, this is something that people care about or they don't, and. Sometimes it's surprising because you think of the Hitching Post being out there. It's that kind of isolated community. A lot of people in Northern Door have never been out that way. But the feedback immediately of people just being excited that someone was taking the reins out there and, and keeping it going and, and bringing back the name, the Hitching Post. Mm-hmm. Um, you, we saw a lot of response right away. Yeah, so. it's been incredible. It's been a the welcoming from the Glidden Drive Association, the Whitefish Bay Association, their support. Wow. I mean, it's, it's really impressive. Um, so what do you think is... Do you have any thoughts on like what might be next for the the food scene up here? Where do you see it going? Do you think like there's an opening in Sturgeon Bay for something more or f- for the Sturgeon Bay area? Um, I, I, you know, I've got this dream that somebody I, you know, thought it would have been maybe me, but it's a little bigger than I am ready for. So I'm going to throw it out there. So hopefully, hopefully somebody else picks it up and does something. <laughs> but above the um, uh, frozen spoon, mm-hmm. that's a empty, clean canvas. That would be a pretty cool farm-to-table dinner. Oh. Mm-hmm. Somebody needs to do yeah, some nighttime dinner things, some nice, healthy white tablecloth, but organic. Yeah. And then you'd have like a, a view down of the harbor. Right now it, it would be d- perfect. Yeah. Right now, it's that's across from where they have the granary, right? Yeah. And exactly. depending on where that ultimately ends up, which right. <laughs> might not be decided for years. Right. <laughs> but yeah, that would be great. I think Sturgeon Bay needs a... In, in my opinion, if they had like one or two more like um, dinner options, I think Crate has breathed some life in and there's been some other yeah. good additions recently. I think Cherry Lane's Arcade Bar yeah, probably will true. add a little more life to Sturgeon Bay, what I they've done so. there. So yeah, something something like that. Somebody taking a risk and, and doing something like what you've done or what Brit Uncafer at Wild Tomato did or Wickman House guys did. Somebody taking a jump like that in Sturgeon Bay would probably just kind of lift the boat for everybody. Absolutely. I mean, the more the I think the more the more change we can bring, and the more people not following the same structure as everybody else. Like, we don't need an Applebee's. We don't need. We need something no. different. We need exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I mean, that's why people come to Door County too is for something different, not something that they can get in any other large metropolitan area. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Veronica, thanks for making the trek up here to Bailey's Harbor to speak with us today. It's been a real pleasure, actually, digging into your your past and and what you've got going down in Sturgeon Bay. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, good luck with everything. Thank you. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit doorcountypulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.